It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Good morning again, Neil. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, You know, I've been uh, thinking about going uh, hydroponic. And I know this is a a direct uh, violation of your uh, credo that uh, soil is is important. Well, you know, um, you can grow things hydroponically. There's no doubt you can. I personally think you grow things better in soil. I think you get a more balanced no uh-huh. bunch of nutrients if you're growing things to eat but people have been growing things hydroponically in fact a lot of modern agriculture is basically hydroponics because uh-huh. the the over tillage the the use of the synthetic nitrate fertilizers has killed off a huge amount of the microbial life has burned a lot of the good carbon out of the soil. So okay. a lot of modern agriculture is hydroponic. And uh-huh. a lot of people think hydroponic just means growing things in water alone. But it uh-huh. literally means, um, I know, gosh, last time I was over in uh, Florida at uh, Epcot, they uh-huh. have a huge um, operation where they're doing hydroponics, but everything's growing in sand. And of course, just pure sand. Once you've washed all the nutrient material out of it, there's, it's basically a sterile medium. So uh-huh. you can describe hydroponics as growing in any sterile medium. It doesn't have to be just pure water. So anyway, long story short, what are you planning on doing and why are you going this way? Oh, okay. The, the main reason I was thinking about it was that, uh, uh, I get a lot of damp out on, on my plants. And uh, I usually get maybe half. And I was thinking maybe switch from uh, go start out with hydroponic and then go to uh, uh, earth, uh, you know, switch them out. Uh, Once it gets big enough, I can put it in the the ground and it'll work out better for for me that I won't get as much damp out. Well, uh, or damp off is actually what it's called. It's a fungus. Um, it, and that may be a good idea for you, but um, you're going to be you would not be starting them in water per se, because oh, really? a a plant's a plant develops a different root system in water than it does okay. in soil. Yeah, soil, yeah. And and when you start when you well, let's say you know we we start an ivy cutting. Everybody wants a piece of their grandmother's ivy. You start uh-huh. that cutting in water. When you take it out of the water and move it Uh to soil, then all those water roots die off and the Uh plant starts over making roots that are adapted to the soil. And that's certainly not what you want with your seedlings. Now, on the other hand, if you were to start your seedlings in a sterile medium, which Uh might be sand, which might Uh be perlite, and then you transfer those seedlings uh, to your, you know, gardener, wherever, then you've, you've accomplished the idea of starting things hydroponically. Now, here's the problem is that many times that fungus that causes the damping off did okay. not come in in the soil. It came in on the seeds. Uh-huh. And so many times your, um, your damping off fungus, uh, was already present in the seed and you really haven't 
gained anything uh, because you can have damping off can, uh, fungus in you know a soilless medium uh, right. just the same as you can in you know in almost any other. Um, I would suggest when you're starting off. There are two different possibilities. Uh, right. The one which I favor is soaking some cornmeal in water and, okay. you know, watering with that corn water solution because uh, and soak it for about 24 hours. What you're getting there is quite a lot of the trichoderma fungus, which will knock out the damping off fungus oh, just good. as it does many other things. Okay. The other option, and this is what a lot of people, it's what I used to do before I learned better, but it's it's not a cardinal sin, but... Uh, they will put a very fine layer of peat moss over their their medium, uh, usually ground sphagnum peat uh, or you know some other form of very finely ground peat because peat is so antimicrobial, and that's the reason I don't like it mixed into the soil, but sure. it's so antimicrobial, it takes care of a lot of damping off problems. Now, Ooh, okay. if you want to use that very fine layer of peat moss to get your seedling started, but then don't add more peat moss to your soil, I mean, a little peat moss isn't... <laughs> It's not the end of the world, and you're not, you know, you're not condemned by me or by anybody else for stepping over the line in a case like this. If you've got damping off fungus, uh, they, in fact, uh, you may still be able to buy it. It's just so long since I've used it that I haven't looked for it in a long time. But it's something called milled, M-I-L-L-E-D, milled sphagnum, and okay. it's very finely ground sphagnum uh, peat. And they, you know, you just sift. I mean, you've got your hands and you're just rubbing it back and forth in your fingers and just sifting a very fine layer over your seedling trays. And uh, I think the Mills Sphagnum, yeah, the Mills Sphagnum is actually sold under the name of No Damp Off. And so if it's a serious issue, it's not like you're turning to a toxic chemical to do things. You're just using a natural product, uh, and you're using, in fact, you're using an organic product. But um, again, the reason we don't like it is, is sure. because it destroys a lot of good microbes along with the bad microbes. But if you choose to use some mill sphagnum to get your seedling started, uh, just to take care of damping off, go for it. It's it's not a big deal. It's a whole you lot know where easier. Um, start calling around. They might have it over at Fanix. Uh, I, they may have it out of Bright Ideas. Uh, um, I'm sure there are plenty of people that still keep it on the shelves. Okay. I, I, and, the, and, one of the reasons I, I'm uh, mentioning this is uh, there's a foodsafetynews.com. Uh-huh. And I, I monitor this uh, uh, for the last couple of years, and mainly the, the website is for uh, uh, organic items, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, what's on recall and so forth, uh, sh- what you should consider and not buy. Uh, and recently, they had yesterday. In fact, they had an organic industry. This is a quote: "Organic industry is not giving hydroponic, aquaponic growers a warm embrace." And then it goes on to say that there are twelve different companies, uh, including. Uh, let me see who a twenty-two page petition asking USDA to revoke any existing organic certification previously issued to hydroponic operations. Okay. Uh, You haven't read that, huh? No, that's not one of the things I've come across. You know, commercial agriculture hates, uh, hates organics. 
Um, they they sure. see it as a threat to their marketplace, and sure. you know the I think the big uh, thing that means that most hydroponic crops should be considered non organic is that in order to get all the nutrients and things that uh-huh. plants need, they use a lot of uh, synthetic, chemically produced products and fertilizers and well, things like that. Uh-huh. And, you know, Good so be it. We don't, we don't like it in the organic world because those things are very damaging to soils. Um, well, and when you're and Organic when, Food Production Act of 1990 consistently suggest soil samples as a measure for testing compliance with organics. And then it goes on to say that that there's a a board within the USDA that uh, said it was not organic if it was uh, hydroponic. And then it goes on, again, it continues on to say that all these companies, uh, 14 or 15 companies, who, who uh, handle uh, organic products, uh, the uh, National Organic Standards Board, which is uh, involved with the USDA, right. uh, said that the uh, uh, hydroponic is not organic yet. The USDA says it is. <laughs> well, yeah, if so you've if one, you, and one you've, arm is fighting the other, you know. Well, you've listened to me for a long time. I'm not a sure. big fan of USDA certified organic. I think they've terribly bastardized the term. They, you know, exactly right. they they can keep a cow closed up in a barn for uh-huh. its entire life, uh-huh. uh, and as long as they're feeding it hay that was grown organically or whatever they're feeding it, they can call it organic beef. Well, that's not nearly the same as grass-fed beef, which is what cows need to be healthy and produce good meat. Uh, The same thing's true of milk production. The same thing's true of egg Uh production. Uh Uh, USDA Organic is not the ultimate authority in my mind as to whether something organic is organic or not they're for a national standard they are the best we have right now but lots and lots of deficiencies uh i was asked to serve on the state governor's organics board which i did but they didn't like it because i asked too many questions about this so they stopped you know notifying me of when they held their meetings so it's texas the texas department of agriculture with the exception of a few individuals is blatantly anti-organic as well. If you want a really good organic standard, look at uh, Oregon Tilth, T-I-L-T-H. Not national, though. But uh, anyways, long discussion about a, you know, a very, very good point. But uh, I don't pay too much attention to the squabbling among the $80,000 a year bureaucrats that sit on USDA's organic standard boards and argue about minutia when they should be out there looking for the elephant that's stomping on the field, so to speak. And by that, I mean various chemicals and things like that. So um, I, you know, uh, again, this... uh, uh, testing for organics. I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't rely just on a soil test to find out if you've got synthetic nitrogen in there. You're not going to because it goes away so quickly. That's one of the big problems with uh, synthetically derived nitrogen is it doesn't stay in the soil. It goes off to pollute instead of saying the uh, you know the way that an organic nitrogen binds through cation exchange to the soil and stays there much longer. So. 
anyway, it's a great discussion to have. But uh, and and if you want to give organics, a, you know, a, a try, or if you want to do a few things without following the exact guidelines, I'll, I'll try it, that. Uh, uh, yeah, that the build sphagnum. Uh, and if uh, and you know, and like I say, if you don't find that, just get yourself some sphagnum and and just sure. powder it or get a real powdery oh, form. That's a great idea. I, I never thought of that, but you're right, absolutely correct. You know, they say organics uh, for the last twenty years is a sixty billion dollar industry. Right. So it's a, uh, a multinational corporations are, are, uh, are trying to get everything uh, organic so they can get the extra money that uh, <laughs> people are willing to pay for organic. Well, you know, bottom line, let's get everybody to contribute to Howard Garrett's organization, TOR, uh-huh. Texas Organic Research Center. Oh, great. And uh-huh. if Howard had the manpower and the money, I, I keep telling him he ought to come up with his own certification program. And the problem is he's he nobody pays him eighty thousand dollars a year to do anything. Yeah. He's out there scrounging, you know, for uh-huh. the dollars that we all work hard to earn. And uh, I I wish that he were able and if he had the funds, he probably would work on and, and they do you know, a bit of their own certifying of things as organic, and that's a whole other story in and of itself. But, uh, or U.S. not perfect. I don't especially like them, but for now, they're the closest thing we have to a reasonable regulatory agency. But, man, they're a long way from perfect. Yeah, how close are uh, the products that you sell at your your nursery uh, for organics? are they uh, are they not organic until uh, we buy them and put them in the ground and well, then treat them every- like organic Everything we sell is 100% organic. Um, okay. the, the thing is that we really have no control over plants before they get to us. I That's can promise right. you that once a plant is delivered to our property, everything uh, that goes on that plant is organic. But okay. if we told our growers we're only buying organic stuff, we'd be down to about one company that we could buy from. And unfortunately, that doesn't meet the demands that we have for the variety of products. But anyway, Neil, I always enjoy the visit. Let me go ahead and get Suzanne and David in here okay. since Thanks they've been the waiting. Well, it's always a pleasure. You bring up thought-provoking questions, and that's what makes it fun for both of us. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. You you too. Goodbye. All right. Suzanne's next. Good morning, Suzanne. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm great. Um, I've been doing some landscape cleanup after the winter kill. (laughs) uh, As we all have. Yeah. yeah, After about a week, I worked around the end of the house. And the previous owner hinted, Three shrubs right in front of a double window okay. as a foundation planting. Uh, one of the three is is just totally dead. The other two are looking pretty puny. They're, I think they are Japanese yew. Mm-hmm. Um, they were severely damaged with, um, well, a combination of drought then followed by that really cold weather we had. So I've decided they it, they have were unpruned for too many years. I don't think I can prune them up to anything but the big problem is i've got a huge hole where the the third shrub died okay so in my way of thinking best thing to do is just bite the bullet remove the two big ones plant some suitable shrubs to the environment i mean suitable to that little micro environment Uh uh-huh meaning i don't want them to get too tall maybe three feet i don't want to prune them it's okay if they're evergreen. It's also okay if they lose their leaves. But mm-hmm. the main problem is sunlight. Okay. They get that that little area is uh, 
there are two red oaks just west of it. Uh-huh. And as they continue to get bigger, the amount of sunlight that comes into that little hole is less and less. Okay. Well, yews would be not a good choice there anyway, because a Japanese yew left to its own devices will grow 30 feet tall, and that's a little bit over your three-foot maximum. So, oh, no kidding. <laughs> if that's what you have there, then, uh, um, yes, I would just go ahead and, as you say, bite the bullet and replace them. Uh, there are other things that will grow and will do well that will not exceed you know, the three-foot mark or will exceed it only slightly. Some of the things that come to mind, uh, giant liriope is absolutely beautiful, grows about 24 inches high. Um, the uh, 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 What we call the green akuba, there, there are several varieties of akuba. The gold dust, which is what we have planted in front of our building, and we prune it once a year to keep it to three feet. Gold dust is going to get taller you would have to prune it but the green form of akuba this frequently sold as japanese akuba would rarely exceed three feet it's cold hardy down to about 10 below zero uh has red berries on it which the others do not the the green japanese akuba would be another option that would be beautiful there that's not going to get uh, above your your height requirement without any pruning a uh, third possibility is holly fern Holly fern is a beautiful evergreen fern, tolerates morning sun, but could burn with hot afternoon Ooh. sun, and it would be gorgeous in there. It's never going to exceed three feet in height. Um, Those plants are beautiful. Now, if there, it's, you said it cannot have any afternoon sun? Yeah, would not want any hot afternoon sun, at least in the summer months. Winter months, when your red right, oaks have shed is. their leaves, um, right. you could get a little occasional burning but it's certainly not going to kill them that's that's the problem with deciduous trees is very shady in the summer months and very open in the winter but during the cooler weather some even some afternoon sun's not going to bother your holly fern so if that's a plant you like i think that'd be a good plant to think about planting there those things are just beautiful plus the fact they are they're so spiky i, I tried to clean up underneath some holly fern mm-hmm. one time and, and then i began to wonder do i have enough band-aids or i just go to the er <laughs> well, holly fern, you know, it may be stiff and may poke you, but it doesn't have, you know, any thorns or stickers per se. The so-called asparagus ferns might. They're not really ferns at all. They're varieties of asparagus. But uh, they would certainly, something like your foxtail fern would be another good option. I didn't mention it because in a cold winter it freezes down, whereas the uh, the akuba, the giant liriope, and the holly fern all will be evergreen down to 15 degrees or below. So uh, uh, I don't want you sitting there looking at bare ground in the winter months unless you're prepared for that. But if if you are willing to say that every five years we may get a winter cold enough to freeze things back, although they'll come back out again, then you can add asparagus myri, the foxtail, asparagus spring awry, the ming ferns. There are a lot of other varieties of asparagus okay. that could go in there. Well, I'm I'm not willing to go there. We live east of town, and mm-hmm. when it gets cold out here, it gets cold. Um, <laughs> well, check out those it, three: the green akuba, the holly fern, and um, uh, and the giant liriope. I think all three of those would be real good choices for you. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. Thank you. And I'll say good morning to David. Good morning, David. 
Morning, Bob. How are you? Ah, uh, just another <laughs> not an, not the day I'd want to be sitting outside with my hot tea and my book or whatever. But it is still February. It's rodeo time. We're going to have some days like this, and by this afternoon, it's going to be chilly, but it's not going to be too bad. So I'm great. We'll take a little rain anytime we get it. Hey, it's like my business partner's husband says about their ranch: where good rain and a new calf are always welcome. That's right. I planted my onions about six weeks ago, and I put a little bit of Medina granular in the in the rows before yeah. I put them in. What would be a good uh, fertilizing schedule for the rest of the growing season? For if them? you like Medina products, get some of their has to grow and use it about every two weeks. Uh, Espoma also makes a good liquid fertilizer. Fox Farms, uh, I believe it's under the Happy Frog brand, but Fox Farms also makes a good liquid organic fertilizer. But, you know, the, the county agents talk about side dressing and using all this other stuff. You could side dress with some more of the Medina granular, but I think the liquid fertilizers are much more readily available and uh, that's what I do. I'd, I'd like to say I did it every two weeks. I try to do it every two weeks. Sometimes it's not that often. Some years I grow better onions than others, but I do grow good onions, and that's what I'm going to suggest to you. you. You take your choice of whichever one of the liquid organics. Uh, some of the Alaska products, some of the fish emulsion products are also excellent. But onions do like a lot of fertilizing, and I'd, I'd hit them with liquid about every two weeks if you're looking for the best possible quality. Yeah, I've got a big five-gallon jug of the Medina Hester Grove. So <laughs> you're set a, for the season unless you're growing an acre of onions. So put it on as a foliar spray every couple of weeks. Well, I'd put it on as a drench. I mean, I don't oh, know how big drench. your okay. uh, your onion patch is. I I use ranch buckets, and I'll line up about 10 of them, put the appropriate amount of the Hester Grove in the bottom, fill them up with water, and and the water pressure in my garden, I'm, I'm basically pouring one bucket while I'm filling the next bucket. That may be more information than you need, but uh, I, I just I just make it in big buckets and uh, just pour it over. You know, you're not interested in developing foliage. You're interested in developing the roots and bulb, and so I'd, I'd rather drench than, uh, than spray. Okie doke. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, sir. And get out and have a great weekend. All right. It is, uh, gosh, it is rodeo time and it, the weather reflects it. It's going to be a little chilly, going to be a little wet, but, uh, hey, it's a great day to go to the botanical gardens. Great day to go to your favorite nursery. The rain that's out there right now is probably going to move out and bundle up. I love what one of our managers at Shades of Green says. She's a girl that grew up in Wisconsin. <laughs> And uh, and she says, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad wardrobe. Let me tell you, I got bundled up this morning. And I was really surprised at how comfortable I was with the doggies outside before I headed into town. 